How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see your faces. Some new ones this week. I want to say hello to everybody else online as well. Um, if you, this is your first week back in person, welcome. It's a little different, isn't it? A little interesting, a little weird. But as we said last week, we can do it. We can do it. The Lord will give us strength to get through this season. Um, you notice probably there are more cameras. The reason is there are a lot more actually online than there are in this room. And so we want to serve both communities and be together. And so uh, I want to pray for us, ask the Lord to meet us as we study Luke's gospel this morning. So will you pray with me? Lord, uh, we do proclaim that truth, how great thou art. Lord, there is no one greater. And yet our world, uh, even our own stuff, constantly calls to us to say, isn't this great though? And Lord, we need a glimpse this morning of your grace and your love. Uh, Lord, we want to understand your gospel. Lord, would you take these stories, some that we have heard maybe many times, would you transform us this morning? Lord, we just say our hearts are open. We ask that you would pursue us. God, that nothing would get in the way. Lord, we even just take a minute right here in the quietness of this room, our bedrooms, our kitchens, maybe later this week in the car. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind anything right now in our own personal life that might hinder us from hearing from you? And God, we confess those things to you now. Lord, and we know that they are not of you, that they are sin. And God, we, we want to be cleansed. We want to hear your voice. We don't want anything to be in the way. And so, Lord, we just lay those at your feet. You've paid for our sins. And we ask, God, that uh, you would give us grace. The Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts and minds this morning to understand your word would you write it on our hearts? Would we sense your pen uh, bearing down and writing truth? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We are in the book of Luke, and I am thrilled to be in the book of Luke. We live in a really complex world right now. There's a lot of complexity to the news and to the way you listen to things and stuff that's happening online. And we have our own stuff going on in the country with the election and the pandemic and news coming this way and that way. And you're trying to figure out what's happening. And there's complex idiosyncrasies, all kinds of stuff that's happening. And I need, and I hope you do too, the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the truth of who God is, what he has done for us, that he loves us today, that we would hear that once again. But I'm also uh, a member of planet Earth, and I am moved like you are by success stories. Uh, I watch things, I see, hear stories of people that started one way and then ended another. And I remember being in high school, I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, and my neighbor had a basketball goal, and I would go out there by myself, and I would be just making moves and juking and jumping. And I would totally say, Jordan fades back, shoots. And he wins the game. Like I was totally that kid. I loved Michael Jordan. Wasn't that into basketball, but I was way into Michael Jordan. 
and never got the shoes. They're so expensive, but man, did I want the shoes. Um, I recently watched, and some of you may have seen it, The Last Dance is a documentary on kind of his career. And it's inspiring. It's inspiring to watch him go from where he was uh, living in Wilmington, North Carolina, backyard, shooting hoops every day, working hard, got cut from his first tryout high school team, was cut, you know, those kinds of things. Now you may not be inspired by sports stuff. A lot of people are, because it's usually, it's, it's pretty defined. You're either a winner or you're not. And so when we see somebody win that much and you see them motivated and move, it's very inspiring just watching that. I also am inspired by other stories, like especially the creative kind. People that in the secret, quiet place of their own home wrote masterpieces. I remember being uh, where I went to school, Wheaton College, and they have this little museum called the Wade Center, and they have the wardrobe that is... C.S. Lewis, the one that was in his house um, that inspired the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Tolkien, uh, the guy who wrote the Lord of the Rings, friends of C.S. Lewis, and they had his desk sitting there. And his desk was about this big and this wide. And they didn't even have glass around it. Like I went there and I literally sat down. And I was like touching the desk. I was like, the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, these masterful works. And how did they happen? This guy sat in his room by himself and wrote, inspiring. Started here, hard work, put in the time, discipline, and out came the other side, you know, these things that now we read and watch in movie form. Maybe it's somebody who started out kind of the rags to riches, small business owner, maybe single mom, started doing something from her house, all of a sudden takes off, Everybody knows about it. And they, you hear these people tell their stories and we watch them. And what does it make us want to do? I want to, I want to, I want to write. I'm going to go out and shoot hoops. I'm going to do this too. I want to pursue excellence. I want to be inspired and accomplish the same things. We are by nature, get her done type people, right? We're made this way. It's wired in us. So it's natural to assume that when we come to the Bible and we hear, here's something we should do, something we should become, that we would apply the same standard of, well, God says to do it. If I put in enough time and I'm disciplined and I work hard, I can become this great follower of Jesus. Couldn't be further from the truth. Even though everything else in life is like that, you come to the gospel and the gospel says, ah, eh, doesn't quite work that way. So, when we jump in this morning, I want to read an old story, one that you've heard before, but I want to give you a different take. Um, and that's generally the case. When you spend time in God's word, you can hear the same story and God shows you something different. We're going to be in Luke chapter one, verse 26. And no, it is not Christmas Eve, but it is going to feel like it because of the story I'm about to read. So let's read. I'm going to give you a glimpse and show you this upside down way. Um, and I want you to ask a couple of questions, but I'm not gonna give you the questions yet. Let's read the first few verses. Luke 1, 26, uh, you can find it on your app, on the screen, in a Bible if you brought one, a real paper and leather or uh, your phone. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin, betrothed, which just means promised, pledged to be married to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. So what are those questions that I want you to have in the front of your mind? Even though this is the Christmas story, this is the announcement of the birth of Jesus, I want you to also see it as a behind the scenes look at the way God moves in a person's life. And I want you to ask about your own life as you watch what happens to Mary, how does God pursue a person? How does God transform a human being? It's not the last dance, sit in the room and just get it done type of thing. How does God do this? What does it look like to receive the gift of God? So how does it begin? Gabriel, I love it. Gabriel was sent from God. So let's rewind the tape. Here's Gabriel. Here are the angels in heaven. Here is maybe this angel planning committee for the announcement of all announcements, the story of all stories. We get to go and announce that the plan is in place. God's move on the earth. He's going to save humanity. How are you going to do it, Lord? Let's go. Hey, maybe we could, uh, maybe we could write it in clouds. Just everybody, and there'd be clouds all over the world, but they could see it. Or we could do the stars and they could line up to spell something. That'd be amazing. Maybe we could do a flood. No, not going to do a flood again. You said you wouldn't do that. But something amazing, something spectacular. I mean, this is the announcement of the king. This is the savior of the world. So where are we going? Nazareth. What? Nazareth. Don't you mean Jerusalem? No, Nazareth. Okay, um, well, who's the lucky recipient? Who's going to get to hear this? A high priest, maybe some traveling dignitary, some local government official. Who's going to get to hear this news? That teenage girl right there. Wait, 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 wait. And she's pledged to be married to that carpenter. Okay, Lord, I mean, are you sure? Don't you know that Nazareth is kind of a dump? It's the armpit. It's a back alley. It's a dark place. It's not Jerusalem. It's not the temple. That's where you want to have this kind of announcement. This isn't just a little off the beaten path. This is a place that people don't even make paths to. They don't want to go there. And who's this girl? And she's marrying him? I mean, House of David, that's good. But Lord, are you sure? Even as we read the story, and for sure, those who heard it for the first time, early church, you begin to wonder about the location, the meeting, the setting, the people, the whole thing. And a fair question would be this. What are you doing here, God? What are you doing here? Nazareth of all places. Now, this picture that I have here, I took it uh, in this last summer in Israel. They have this recreation called Nazareth Village. And it is just about that small. So that's the plan. Come to a place like this. These people, this whole setting, Lord, it's not very clean. It's for sure not holy. This is the dark alley of earth, Lord. And God says, exactly. It's perfect. And remember those questions. How does God pursue a human heart? How does he transform someone? The gospel is unfolding here before our eyes, the plan made before the foundation of the world, and it seems odd. 
it seems a bit off. But this couldn't be further from the truth. God always knows what he's doing. Remember, there's never a plan B. Plan A was the gospel delivered in this way. So what are some clues for us that let us know that? In the sixth month, the day was set. How does God pursue a person? How does he transform a heart? This day, this time, this place. God knows exactly what he's doing. And it's almost always an upside down, opposite of the world approach. The world says glitz and glamour, go to the biggest place, put it on all the news channels, get this leader, this leader, this leader, hold a state dinner, do this. This is how you make an announcement. And God says, no, Nazareth, carpenter, teenage girl. How does God pursue a human heart? How does he transform some way? Our way, you work hard to get things done. You accomplish great things. You pay your dues. We label places, people, and stuff now with stars. Four and a half stars. You got to go. Five stars. Oh my word. Five star restaurant. You got to go. Lord, Nazareth is like barely a star. It's like half a star. We award people for hard work. We recognize accomplishment. We review and reward accordingly. But God doesn't do it that way. He's surprising and grace is never earned. So let's just take the core truth, just these few opening sentences of what is happening here. An obscure, off the beaten path place, a backwoods town with a bad reputation, an unknown teenage girl pledged to be married to someone connected to the line of David with nothing to offer, absolutely no expectation that anything good is going to happen, gets an announcement that God is coming. How does God pursue a human being? How does God transform a human heart? Let's look at verse 28. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know, there are certain Bible stories that you remember when you were a kid. This is one of them for me. The details, imagining what it might've been like, the sights, the sounds, a bright glowing angel, a big booming voice, a sweet girl. Mary was always somebody I looked up to and I still do. This is, this is the kind of person you want to imitate, that you want to follow. If you want to know how to respond to Jesus, take a look. This is her. As far as somebody who was close to Jesus, you can't get much closer. She spent a lot of time with him, <laughs> a lot of time with him. But it was only a few years ago, reading through this passage, that I noticed that Mary didn't think so highly of herself. She didn't think that way about herself. We think, Mary, wow. She's like, yeah, I, I didn't think that. As I imagine her now, I can see Gabriel speaking to her, greetings, Mary, oh, favored one. And I can see her going, yeah, no. Cowering in fear, she's troubled at the saying, 
oh, favored one. We haven't got to the details and she's troubled just at what he's saying, what he's calling her. She knows it's not a title she deserves. I can imagine her thoughts as I've had similar threads of doubt and self-condemnation. I bet that this encounter had her thinking, maybe even whispering under her breath, I'm afraid you've got the wrong girl. I'm afraid you've got the wrong girl. I think you made a mistake. She's overwhelmed. She's scared. She's troubled. She's trying to figure out to discern. She's just trying to discern what the greeting means. Forget the rest of it. Just the greeting. I don't, you're scaring me just with how you're addressing me. Those words don't fit me because I am just me. I'm just me. God knows this about us. He knows that apart from the enemy himself, Satan, you have one other enemy that is the most fierce and effective in messing with you. And that's you. Right? We're good at it. We know how to take ourselves down really fast. So Gabriel anticipates this and he says, hey, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. So she calms down a little bit, aside from the fact that there's probably a nine foot angel standing in her room. Okay, she calms down a little bit, but then he drops this on her. Let me just read the words again, because it's so important to think about what is being handed to her. Again, ask the question, how does God pursue a human heart? How does he transform somebody to become like him? Here's what he says. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have life inside of you. You're going to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. God will give him the throne of David and his kingdom will never end. Mary's thinking, maybe saying, I'm sorry, can you say that again? This is a lot for a teenager to take in, isn't it? It's a lot for a teenager to take in. I remember being a teenager and I'm not a teenager anymore and I still carry some of the traits that I had as a teenager, which is, but what'd you say? (laughs) Struggling to kind of hear everything that's going on. And I won't go too deep on the guts of what is being said here because it's kind of what the whole point of the Luke's gospel is, is to unfold the kingdom of God and what it looks like. But just a little side note on the kingdom of God and what he's saying. Think about the truth of this baby being the king of kings, which means the king for everybody, for everyone, everywhere, and that this kingdom will never end. Not some spiritual frilly talk about something that you can't touch and see, but the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God being birthed in the lives of ordinary people, manifest in the lives of believers in the church, and eventually, poof, we all go and float on clouds. No, he comes back and establishes his kingdom on earth, a kingdom that will never end. He splits the sky. He takes his seat on the throne and the world bows down to him. No campaign speeches, no TV ads, no pundits trying to decide if he's the real deal or not. A king and a kingdom where everybody bows the knee, where Jesus is trending on every news network and media outlet and social media thing, and nobody can stop talking about him and nobody's able to say it's anything other than what it is. This fires me up, I gotta tell you. I get so excited thinking about this. But back to Mary, there's gotta be a mistake. I imagine Mary telling this to the disciples a few years later. 
Jesus, and who knows, maybe it was around the campfire. Jesus is doing his thing and they're kind of asking questions about when she was a young mom and tell us, tell us that story again, Mary, about the, the angel. Tell us what happened. And I imagine her sharing her thoughts and her feelings of how she thought it was a mistake. You shouldn't be here. She works through what Gabriel is saying and again thinks, wrong house, wrong town, wrong person. I'm not who you think I am. And this house, this spiritual house right here, it's, it's not ready for the Son of God. This house is not ready for the Son of God. How does God change a heart? How does he transform a human being? I have, well, I have a, a few things in the closet under the bed, out back, hidden in the attic, stuffed in the basement. It's not a good place. This house is not a good house for the Son of God. And in truth, she is right. She's correct. It isn't. It's unclean. It's not holy. So then why does the Lord say, greetings, O favored one? What is it that causes her to find favor? Now, I'm going to disagree with one of my favorite authors, Max Lucado. I love Max Lucado. I grew up reading Max Lucado. He is absolutely where I got my storytelling view and lens of the Bible. And one of my favorite, I've recommended it to so many people, is called An Angel Story. It used to be called Cosmic Christmas. And it's the Christmas story told from heaven's perspective from an angel delivering. And there's this one moment in the book when Gabriel is flying to earth and they get to the little town and, and Max wrote this little thing and he goes, and he knew in a second which heart it was because it was so pure. And so, and I was like, mm. and not that she didn't have purity of heart and she wasn't ready. We we're going to see that how she responded, but Mary would be saying, no, Max, <laughs> no, I was not. I didn't deserve this. There was nothing in me that caused them to say, oh, favored one. So then why is she favored? How does God transform a heart? How does he change a human being? You know what makes her favored? Because God says so. Because he picks her. That's grace. He picks her and thus she is able to be called favored. So good news for you and me, right? because that's exactly how it works for us as well. There's nothing that would cause God to look at my life and say, oh, wow, look at that Chad Ellenberg. I want him on my team. No, it is more like this. Chad, you didn't expect it. And no, you're not a good candidate for me to live inside a person, but I am here and you have found favor because I said so before the foundation of the world. How does God transform a human heart? So naturally, this is going to bring some questions to Mary. She has a few. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, I just, just a couple of... Now, it's different because Zechariah had questions too. And I've wondered this, like, why didn't, why didn't she get like muted <laughs> the way Zechariah? It was like last week he asked the question. And it was like, you're going to be mute for until the baby's born. But... Mary, something about the way she was approaching the question, they knew something. She said, how? I mean, I, how's this going to happen since I'm a virgin? It's a very practical question. 
The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then because God knows how we think, we're like, has this ever happened before? I mean, can, can you give me some evidence? He says, even your relative Elizabeth, who's super old, it's kind of pretty much what the angel's saying. She's really old. I mean, like old. She's going to have a baby. She's going to have a baby. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. There was no way. Impossible, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. How does God transform a human heart? How does he pursue a person? Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. At first, she's just thinking basics. I'm pledged to be married, but I, I mean, well, I'm a virgin and, and I know how this stuff works and I'm committed to honor the commands of the Lord to not do that before I get married. So how's this going to happen? Just basic teenage questions. Here's how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that word is a reference back to the cloud in the temple. The way the cloud, the Spirit of the Lord would descend on the tabernacle. So let's take the heart of her question and frame it another way. And I think it's a good question for us. How will the perfect and pure life of God be formed and live in me? Because... I can't do this, can I? I? I can't do this by myself, right? It's impossible. What you're saying, Mary, is true. You cannot do this, but I can. I can create something out of nothing. You may know where we think about that happening in the Bible, maybe in the first page <laughs> of the Bible. God creates out of nothing. The creator is coming to one of his creations saying, I'm going to do this in you. Now, there's a couple of easy things that we can draw from the passage. And this is what happens when you spend time in God's word. And especially if you spend time in a passage that you think you've read a hundred times before. And oh, there's nothing else I can learn about this. There's some things that I, hadn't, I had never thought about. I started reading and just studying a little bit. And it's like, oh yeah, that's actually pretty obvious that that might be something you would draw. Let me tell you first, she's a virgin. So important because it connects to the prophecy, but important also because Mary was a woman, a girl of integrity and character. And she wanted to honor the Lord. And she was promised to be married and she was committed to the fact that I'm going to do this because I know it pleases the Lord. He has said that one man, one woman, I'm going to do that. She sees her body as belonging to God. It doesn't fly well in our culture, does it? She says, not mine. You gave it to me. I'm, I'm yours, Lord. Her belief is that she's been created by and therefore belongs to God. She's pledged to be married. How about her sexuality? Is it important to her? Is it important to her how people see her? Yeah, she absolutely cares. And getting pregnant is going to cause a few problems if she's not married yet. 
Second, in this phrase, the child to be born. Gabriel phrases something very specific. The child to be born. This may seem super obvious to you, but I just kind of missed it. Let's just let that phrase sink in for a minute. The child to be born. Last week, Zechariah got a message about a child that will be born. Make no doubt about it of what God thinks about a baby in the womb. It's a baby. That's what he thinks. Both with John and Jesus, he speaks of them before they're born as well as when they're being formed in the womb. And so I want to take a small but significant rabbit trail because I skipped it last week and I'm going to do it this week. And we don't go out of our way to try to find cultural things that we can just hammer. But if it comes up, I'm going to say it. If it comes up, I'm going to say it. I don't know how judgment works. I know a little bit about judgment. The judgment on the cross. Scott Sauls is one of my favorite authors and pastors. Now he's in Nashville. I like to listen to him. I like to hear what he says. And he has this phrase where he says, move your judgment day from the future to the past. Move your judgment day from the future to the past. Well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you confess and accept his sacrifice for your sins, guess where your judgment day happened? There on the cross. If you say, nah, take my chances. When's your judgment day? To come. Everyone will be judged. It's just a matter of where is your judgment day? Now, how does God's judgment work on a society? For sure, we've thought about these things uh, in the last few weeks and months as we know that our nation has a sin of slavery, racism. We know that. That's not something new. Abigail Adams, John Adams' wife, actually wrote this to her husband in 1775, just before the Revolutionary War started. The British were attacking Falmouth, Massachusetts and Charlestown, Massachusetts. And she wrote this. Poor Falmouth has shared the fate of Charlestown. Are we like Sodom? Which everybody knows Sodom is a city that was what? Judged by God. Here's a wife of someone who would be president of the United States. Are we like Sodom? I hope not. Then she says this, how unsearchable are the ways of heaven that allows evil to befall a city, whoa, and a people by the very hands that founded it and are supposed to be the protectors of it. So here are the people that were our friends, were our leaders, the British, now they're attacking us. And listen to her conclusion. To John Adams, we have done evil or our enemies would be at peace with us. And this line right here, the sin of slavery as well as many others, is not washed away. It's not uncommon to look at things that are happening in the world, violence, difficulties, and to say, is this judgment? Is this judgment? So I, for sure, when I started last two weeks in the Gospel of Luke, and I see two stories, and you hear God speaking about babies that aren't even born yet, and he's saying, the child to be born, of course I'm thinking about abortion. 
Of course. And I'm asking the question, these kind of questions. Is a law that we passed in 1973, but that was being carried on way before then, that allows 3,000 human beings to be killed every day just in our country? I think it's like 50 million since it was passed. Are there consequences to that from a heavenly perspective? I'm not saying I know. I'm just saying I think it's right to ask the question. I do. I wonder. And honestly, as I've watched the things unfold with what's been happening, and again, there's personal responsibility, our being right. There are definitely consequences as a group at times. We don't, I don't know how that works, but I'm definitely asking the question. Chad, how are you getting this from Luke 1? How am I not? How am I not? I spend time in the word and I'm talking to the Lord about this and he highlights these phrases, the child to be born. I read about a young girl who still believes in keeping herself pure. I hear God talk about John and Jesus in the womb. I think about our world, the way that it says, follow what's right for you. Don't let anything get in the way of you or your desires. Not some old religious do good way of thinking or the inconvenience of a baby. Do what you want. It's not the case for Mary. She doesn't. She doesn't operate this way. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, before I jump in, just to kind of finish up with how we can apply something, because some of you are like, oh, I can't believe we talked about abortion and racism again. Thank you. <laughs> but I want you to wrestle with the fact that there are personal things that we, our, our judgment can be moved to the past in Christ. And then there are things that we need to pray about, we need to think about, and we need to at times stand for, to stand up and to speak truth that may not be very popular. And where do I get that? I get that from God's word. I get that from who he is. And so I just want you to wrestle, but I also want you to see that Mary's story points out for us to somebody who is just saying, Lord, let it happen. Whatever you want to do, let it happen. Let your word happen to me. I say yes, no matter what the cost. I say yes, no matter what the cost. And it will cost her. It will cost her. Culturally, it was never okay to be pregnant back then and not, you know, have it happen. The timing is off or something. You were kicked out, right or wrong. The way people think through these things was never okay. She's saying, okay, I'll take it. So let's finish just with talking about us. How will the life of God be formed in us? We can't do this on our own. It will only happen through the creative power of God in your heart. Your body, so let's just go real specific here. Your body and your soul are not yours. They belong to your creator who made you. And we should put ourselves in the hands of God willingly now, because eventually it will be done for you. God understands that you might think or feel this is impossible and difficult. I won't fit in with the rest of the world. He invites us to believe that our life is not our own. 
It belongs to him. You can run from him your whole life trying to deny that truth. But when his kingdom does come in reality, you will know that it's true. You will know that it's true. I invite you, as we look at Mary's life, we look at Gabriel, the announcement here, to believe it now. I invite the worship team up. Believe that he initiated this whole thing. He's committed to bringing the creative power and love, the very life of Jesus into your life and nothing will be impossible for him. Your part is the same as Mary's. Just say yes. Just say yes. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for grace. Thank you for how you move in our hearts, Lord, it, it truly isn't something that we can just work hard at and make happen. It, it happens because you decide, because you come, Lord, to, um, you emptied yourself, Lord. You came to the darkness of the world and sin. You looked at our hearts and had every right to say, no way. And yet you poured out grace and favor. And Lord, even while we were sinners, you died for us. Lord, I pray that um, your word would work in our hearts to um, open our hands, Lord, to say, let it be to me according to your word. Lord, for those of us who know you and have been walking with you for a long time, in this time of our country and our history and our culture and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a part of the church, what it might mean in the future, uh, Lord, I think there's, there's, some, there's some teeth to, to saying that. Lord, there's some consequences that maybe we're really going to need your grace and your strength to stand with you. And sometimes, Lord, it's on big issues and sometimes just small things like saying, Lord, I want to get rid of this addiction I have. I want to confess these sins that are plaguing me. I want you to make right this relationship. I want to confess something I've had hidden, but that I know you can see all of that, Lord, that we just would come to you and say, let it be to me, whatever you say, whatever you want to happen. And we bless you for your word. It's true. It is everlasting. Your kingdom is one that will never end. Uh, God, as we uh, sing together uh, one more song here, all masked up, <laughs> would you minister to us? Would you give us strength, give us courage, give us grace? Amen. Why don't we stand and sing?